0: Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be recapping some of the rather chaotic trade activity that occurred over the past several hours. All of a sudden, the floodgates seem to open, and it's it's a little bit before the trade deadline, but obviously quite a few teams are already active scouting and stuff. One of these aforementioned trades actually uh, directly impacted the Jets because the Jets made, of all things, a trade, which, you know... You probably thought was coming, but maybe you'd be surprised at just how good this deal was. After that, we'll do some diving into the highlights from tonight's game against the LA Kings, which, surprisingly, was the Jets' win. Obviously, the Kings are not as great as they used to be, and they had a trade earlier over the past couple of days that um, probably impacted whether or not they were going to do well tonight. But, all of that said, Winnipeg has historically struggled against the Kings, no matter the composition of the squad, so, you know, nothing is ever guaranteed in, in this league. So, let's recap some of the earlier trades over the past couple of days. I think the first one was that the New York Islanders picked up Andy Green from the New Jersey Devils for a 2021 second-round draft pick and David Gwenville. Green is pretty veteran at this point, and I feel like Islanders are maybe just getting third-pairing defensive help. I don't think Green is much more than that. He's a decent defensive type, but I don't think that he's really going to be a significant boost for that squad. At 2021, second rounder is not terrible, but I feel like second rounders are a little bit expensive for the kind of player that Green is. And then you throw in David Quenville, who's probably a fringe NHL prospect, still, still an asset. It's kind of a meh trade in my opinion. I guess the Islanders got a little bit of depth, but beyond that, not much more to talk about. The bigger one that the Jersey Devils were also involved in was um, Blake Coleman being sent to Tampa Bay in exchange for a first round pick in either 2020 or 2021 pending some of the conditions, and then prospect Nolan Foote. This will probably be one of the bigger blockbusters that we see in this this trade deadline, because Coleman is honestly a really good top six player. He has at times been one of New Jersey's MVP forwards, and there's obviously not too many guys like that, but um, Coleman is genuinely good, and he's a versatile PK or two. So he's very good at even strength, he's great on the penalty kill, he can do some special team stuff in other areas... And he just seems to be a pretty prolific goal scorer and general offensive threat in all situations, which is something that the Lightning, of course, really didn't need more of, but of course they want to kind of push themselves over the top and see if they can finally win the Cup. They probably figure in a year where the field is pretty wide open because the West is a trash fire and the East is very stacked, they need all the firepower they can get before they can, you know, make this Cup Finals. Nolan Foote's a very good prospect, so obviously the Jersey Devils are, are looking to rebuild with this whole package, and foot is going to go a long way to helping them. That whole foot family just seems to be very talented. Cal's an elite defensive prospect, and his brother is a really good top six second-line winger most likely. Yeah, Tampa Bay can kind of afford to make moves like these because they have so many prospects of a similar caliber and, and just a lot of depth in their system, and they're at the point where they've they've drafted and developed all the guys that they can. Now they want to stack the odds in their favor and try to push themselves over the top, which this move might might help them do that. As I alluded to earlier, Vancouver sent Tim Schaller, Tyler Madden, and a 2020 second round pick, as well as a 2022 conditional draft pick in exchange for Tyler Toffoli. This is evidently because Brock Besser is going to be out for some time, so they wanted a replacement who they could keep around for a little bit. problem with this is the Canucks are not really contenders. Vancouver is a decent team, don't get me wrong, but they're certainly not in the position to be spending a whole lot of assets, uh, assets that they could build their core with, on guys who are, you know, technically in their primes and contributing, but probably not a fit for that age group. The Canucks are one of the top three teams in the Pacific, but the Pacific is the weakest division in the NHL, so I can't really imagine why they felt like they needed to make this move. With Besser out, and apparently Besser might actually be out for the rest of the season. I just don't see why you would pick Toffoli up. I know Benning probably feels uh, no degree of, per, you know, sno small amount of pressure in order to deliver results in a playoff success story, but I think that Vancouver is not really in the position to make any kind of moves like that, especially right now. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the Western Conference playoff picture is pretty weak, but I, I just wouldn't imagine that this is really the kind of time for the Canucks to make a, a big acquisition, and especially for the price that they pay. Tyler Madden's a great prospect, and Tim Schaller, I mean, is technically a, a forward, I guess. He's all right. But a 2020 second rounder and a conditional 2022 pick, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to give up for a guy who is not going to significantly change your team's fortunes, more than likely. It, everything could change, and maybe somehow Vancouver just kind of explodes and goes on a run with Toffoli, but I just have a hard time seeing it right now. Today, though, the Jets made their own splash by picking up Dylan DeMello for a third-round draft pick from Ottawa, and that is a fantastic deal in my opinion. DeMello's a very underrated second-pairing defenseman. He's very smart, very good, very capable. He'll immediately slide on that first pairing, which will push Tucker Pullman down in the lineup, and that's, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think that that's one of the most needed moves because Pullman can't really compete at the top level uh, of uh, first-pairing minutes. Morrissey can't either, and I don't think DeMello is really going to be an elite top-pairing defenseman, but certainly better than the options that we have right now. DeMello was one of my primary trade targets for the Jets, and I'm glad to see that they got him not only in inquiring him at all, but actually getting him on a really good deal. I think that a third-round pick is basically nothing for him, and I don't think that it would be too hard to assign him for a couple of years and keep him around in Winnipeg for the foreseeable future, which would be fantastic for the Jets. Great value, great trade, I'm just really happy about this deal all around. This apparently kick-started a bunch of deals for defensemen because the Capitals picked up Brendan Dillon from the Sharks for a 2020 second-round pick and a 2021 conditional third-rounder. Um, Alright, yeah, I mean, Dillon's fine. He's a defensive defender, and I guess Dillon uh, would help stabilize Washington's blue line, which has been giving up a lot of high-danger chances against, and recently the defensive structure has just seemingly fallen apart. If you're the Caps, I guess this does make a lot of sense from your perspective but I, I mean they have so many defensemen on their roster and payroll that it's a little bit absurd at this point they have like all of these similar second pairing kind of guys all around and that's a lot of money to invest in that but if you're the caps you probably aren't worried you just want a cup you're going for another one your team is better than it's been in a couple of seasons so I get it the funnier trade might be St. Louis picking up Marco Scandella from the Canadians for a 2022nd rounder and a conditional 2021 fourth rounder um, Scandella is not very good. He's worse than Demello and Dylan by a decent margin, and he's not cheap. I know that they just lost Bomeister to a really horrific accident, but this is not the way to replace him. Scandella at this point is a fringe NHLer. He might be having a better season now, but I just I don't really understand this whole deal, especially if you want actual NHL defensive help. I mean, it's not the worst trade, I guess. It's it. I just feel like if you're paying a second for Scandella, you're probably getting ripped off. Certainly better news for the Jets, I guess. That's all I can say. After all the trade deadline craziness, Winnipeg still actually had some business to take care of, and that started with dealing with the LA Kings, the team that just traded away Tyler Toffoli and was uh, holding out Alec Martinez, who appears to be on his way to Vegas. Now, the Kings are kind of a funny opponent, because for some reason the Jets have always seemed to struggle against this team, and I, I don't really know why. Uh, this past year, Winnipeg has had some serious issues breaking LA's defense and, and not really conceding a ton of chances against. Usually, like, the first periods against LA have been something where Winnipeg gets outshot by comically large margins 15-5 to 5 or something silly like that, and just doesn't really look competitive until the end of the game. Tonight was a little bit different, but the Jets actually still managed to concede in the first minute of the game. This one was a really ugly goal. Uh, I think Connor Hellebuck wasn't really set. He let this awful rebound go, and uh, Dustin Brown ended up capitalizing and like just sort of lobbing it over his shoulder. Not exactly the kind of start that Winnipeg would have been looking for, uh, especially if they want to keep in this playoff hunt which they were only a couple of points out of a wildcard spot. And with Nashville stumbling, the Jets had an opportunity to try and build at least a little bit more of a, a breathing room on their opponents who have a couple of games in hand. After that first goal against them, you'd be forgiven for wondering if the Jets were going to show up at all. But thankfully, Winnipeg didn't seem too bothered by conceding early. Maurice went back to his uh, top six that he had the other night before he made the change to have uh, Andrew Cobb between Line a and Connor. He went back to Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers in the top line, and Connor, Wheeler, and Line on the second line. And then the third line, of course, is still going to be Appleton, Roslovic and Harkins, which tonight, again, looked pretty good. That line has managed to create a pretty good amount of offensive pressure, and I feel like the Jets are finally starting to find some, I guess, balance in their lineup. The top six looked pretty okay. I think the first line was all right. Um, the only thing that I probably didn't care for was that Sometimes they would miss shots or not really get into positions that I think were the most advantageous. That said, Winnipeg was still able to get into the low slot area because the Kings defending is not particularly great. Um, and I think that by now you can probably guess that the Jets have superior firepower and the ability to get in that slot area. Both teams actually exchanged quite a few shots in the first period. I think that they were like 9 or 10 before... Uh, maybe three quarters of the way through the first period, and that was uh, for each team. So definitely the the pace of the game was pretty high. I think the Kings had a slight edge earlier on, and then eventually the Jets started to show up and put a little more pressure on. Cal Peterson had to be pretty good in the net, and I think that he was, at least for the most part, the main reason that the Jets weren't able to score and convert early. Uh, I think Winnipeg was doing pretty well, generally speaking. I was satisfied with the effort. It wasn't like previous games against the Kings where they just didn't show up. The second period kind of saw an early push from the Kings. I think that L.A. was dangerous and, and doing well. Sometimes the Jets backed off a little bit, but I think that just switching the, the lines of Coppin of and, and Wheeler between the first and second lines finally gave the Jets a little more chemistry. Wheeler on Shifley's flank looked a lot more at ease and, and less uncomfortable than he's been at center uh, on the second line, so I think going forward you just need to have Cops centering that second line with Connor and line A permanently. I think that until there's a better option, just leave them there. I think that that line is going to be fine. Shifley and Wheeler just seem to have a lot more natural chemistry, and hopefully they will suck less defensively. Even though Shifley's been taking shifts off and Wheeler doesn't really defend all that much anymore, at least they've got Ailers. That said, the second period start, you know, started to click for the Jets after a while, and finally, Winnipeg got a bit of a break. They'd had a couple of odd-man rushes the other way on counters, but just came up short and empty. This time, though, Line A and Harkins found themselves in two-on-one, and Harkins, who's been pretty good for this uh, past couple of weeks ended up hitting pay dirt pretty quickly. Roslovic also recorded an assist. Really this third line's just been cooking with gas man. I don't know what it is about this unit, but Appleton, Roslovik, and Harkins just seem to have a ton of natural comfort with each other. Even though Appleton wasn't on the ice for this one, you know, Line a ended up collecting the primary assist. I, I just have to say that the approach was very similar, and I feel like this third line in general has just been humming perfectly. They seem to have a great forecheck, really good overlapping positional changes. There's a lot of free-flowing attacking around the net mouth area. Just um, everything that you want to see from a middle six line is exactly what you're getting with this unit. I think Harkins, in my opinion, has been very good for the Jets, and I feel like as far as depth forwards are concerned, you could do a lot worse. He has a nice mix of skill, physicality, and work ethic. Just a really well-balanced winger and the kind of guy that could easily get a 25 or 30-point season if they keep it up. Not this season, of course, but, you know, going forward, I feel like that that could be definitely a thing that you can expect to see from someone like Jansen. Maybe he even gets some top six time. He might be good enough for that at some point. Roslovic has also looked a lot more comfortable as a center, which has been something of a rarity as of late. Roslovic last year, they tried at center, and it didn't really work out. They have done it on and off with him, and a lot of people will say, oh, he hasn't really had a chance to show himself. But I think a lot of it is just him not really being comfortable with being a center at the NHL level. Part of it may just be that the the skill types and, and skill archetypes and techniques and styles that, you know, the, the guys on the Moose tend to employ don't really mesh with the way that Roslevic, uh played with his line mates at the NHL level, but now that he has Appleton and Harkins on his wing, both of whom are a little bit more like two-way defensive transition experts... It might cut him loose to do a little bit more of his free-flowing, poaching, and and skilled attacking kind of stuff. He's a very good passer. He's got great vision. And we definitely saw tonight that he has excellent acceleration. But, of course, him feeling comfortable as a center hasn't always been the case. So it was kind of nice to see him look a little more at ease. I feel like he was doing better on the whole. And he's been showing more of, uh, of the kind of play that you'd want. Appleton's also looked better as of late. I felt like he's getting on the ends of opportunities for the Jets, Um, and especially with Ross Livick and Harkins, he seems to be finding those sneaking routes where he can just sort of get in behind guys and get close to the net, which is not something that he did when he was with Wheeler or anyone else. Speaking of Appleton getting on the ends of nice opportunities, Appleton actually got a really nice feat from Roslevic. I was telling you Roslevic showcased some really great acceleration. Well, he did it again here, this time blowing through the neutral zone and splitting a couple of Ellie Kings defenders. It's the kind of greasy uh, skate-behind and get-behind sort of action that Roslevic really hasn't showcased recently until uh, he got moved to this line. This burst of acceleration and splitting the D is a pretty hard technique to pull off, but Roslovic made it look very easy. Even as LA's D recovered, he kind of recognized that he wasn't going to be able to get the shot off, so he laid it off back for Mason Appleton and Appleton squeezed it right between, you know, Peterson's pads. Just a really artful, well-made play and I was very happy to see it because this third line really does deserve all of the the scoring that it's pulled off over the past couple of games. I feel like this third line might just change Winnipeg's future. They haven't had a whole lot of scoring balance as of late, and and getting things going at 5v5 has been pretty difficult, but this third line is really putting in serious work and opening things up for the rest of the top six. If nothing else, they've been fun to watch, and I feel like as far as the Jets are concerned, that's pretty much all I ask for. Be fun to watch, be entertaining, make things competitive. Yeah, that's what I want. Finally, though, the top line, newly reunited with uh, Ehlers, Wheeler, and Shifley, ended up connecting just a minute or two later. This one off of yet another odd man counter, Shifley led the left wing and found Blake Wheeler for an easy one-timer, almost the same exact play that Liney had with Harkins. Shifley's not been scoring anything recently, so it's nice to see him collect a couple of points tonight. I think that he'll be unhappy with his performance as of late, and I feel like he should be because he hasn't been all that good. But there are some times where he probably should have scored and got a little bit snake bitten. so you know, obviously getting a couple of assists isn't quite breaking the uh, the monkey off your back in terms of goal scoring, but it gets you closer. The second period was mostly smooth, but the third period was a little bit rockier. LA started taking shots from all angles and trying to even the game up, and actually Martin Furk ended up getting a nice little wraparound goal after he beat Dmitry Kulikov behind. A bit of an unlucky bounce off the boards that ended up falling right to Furk, but Kulikov wasn't really in a position to to make the play either, and I think line or somebody else was sitting in front of the net. So after that... I think Maurice wanted to send a message and bench that cop Line A. Connor line for a bit, which is kind of funny because Shifley does all of these dumb things all the time and doesn't get punished for it, which is... I understand why Maurice wants to reward the vets and stuff, but like, don't don't enable that bad behavior from your top line either. In this one it was just a busted defensive coverage, and I don't really know if I can single out any one person. I think that there were a couple of folks who needed to be better, but it is what it is. Thankfully, a few minutes later, Aylers padded the lead to to bring it back to 4-2 with a nice goal. Another assist from Shifley and another assist from Wheeler, so multi-point nights for the top line, which is great. Unfortunately, the Kings just really don't know when to quit, man, and like Dustin Brown collected this weird deflection, it's a really skilled deflection actually, that almost looked like a high stick, but I don't think was. I think the guy's name is Matt Wilder, the defenseman, he threw uh, a bit of a high wrister that seemed to sail, and Brown somehow saw it, Kulikov standing in front of Hellebuck, and Brown is off to the left of those two, and Brown deflected it midair, almost backwards and redirected it from an amazing deflection to be honest i'm not really sure that there's anything that anyone could do about that other than just not let brown get the tip but i mean you wouldn't have expected that to go in as cleanly as it did so unfortunate. Just a few minutes later, with the goalie pulled, the Kings almost did end up uh, tying the game. They got real close. I think uh, Carter found somebody coming in on the left wing almost completely unmarked. I think Kopp was supposed to take it after Morrissey was sitting way too high in the defensive zone. I don't even know what Morrissey was doing up there, but it clearly wasn't marking his man because he was sitting right in the center slot, but not really skating towards anyone in particular. Hellebuck ended up being enough, though. He uh, kept it out and kept the Jets in it, so Patrick Laine then got a nice empty net goal. And then just a few minutes later... Wheeler tips a Neil Pionk shot right before the end of the game to make it 6-3 Jets. All in all, pretty nice night. I didn't love some of the goals conceded, but I'm not that worried about them. I felt like the Jets did enough to cut open LA's low slot area, which is an area that the Jets haven't really been able to penetrate that often. I do think that on the whole there was quite a bit to like from this game, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season pans out. Uh, We get to see Dylan DeMello this Thursday, I believe against Ottawa, so he didn't really leave home. He just kind of stayed around and waited for the Jets to come visit on Thursday. And uh, Winnipeg has, I believe, a four-game road trip now, so Winnipeg has a lot of work to do, especially if they want to keep in this wildcard race. They're only one point out of a spot, but of course they have to fend off the Preds too, and that won't be easy. Crossing fingers, everything pans out. Alright guys, thanks for listening. As always, have a great night, and Go Jets Go!